these last few weeks, we've been working through outreach in the early church. We've been studying the book of Acts. Started in chapter 3, and we saw as, as Peter and John went to the temple in their faithfulness, and they came across this man who was asking for compassion on them. As we talked about it that first week, they were in the right place at the right time. Their faithfulness brought them to, God, or brought them to this man. And they prayed. They said, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he was healed. It was a miracle that God did. So God was at work, and we see this importance of being at the right place at the right time, how faithfulness puts us there. But also then we saw it last week. We saw it last week as the crowd started to gather around this man because he was becoming a spectacle in the temple. This man who had never been able to walk in his life was now leaping and praising God in the temple. And you can imagine how serious people were in the temple. And he's leaping and praising God. And so he starts to draw a crowd. And seeing this crowd, Peter realized he has to make the connection for people. That they see this man who's been healed, and Peter realizes they need to understand the connection here between Jesus and this man who's been healed. So we talked about this last week, that we need to be intentional about making the connection for people. So we talked about it, not that we, that we help someone for five minutes so we can preach at them for half an hour. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about making that connection. It was great. I went over to the Bobbicks house afterward uh, last Sunday, and I told, I told Linda, thank you for the meal. Thank you for having us over. And she said, God has been good to us. We are happy to have you over. <laughs> and then she laughed, just like that. <laughs> but it can be just that subtle. It can be just that subtle. It's a way to make this connection for people, that we are the way we are. We do the things we do because God has changed who we are. He has made our lives new. And so we make this connection. But as we see, these miracles bring all sorts of people. So now we see that this, a new group of people have come to see this man who's been healed. But this is a new crowd. I begin to realize, or we are reminded again, that miracles have gravity, so to speak. They bring people in. They bring people in who are curious and who genuinely want to know. But they also bring people in who question. What's happened here? How do I know this is for real? This morning, as we dive into this text, maybe you've already realized that proclaiming this Jesus, proclaiming this faith that we have, talking about this Savior who has changed our lives, will bring opposition. It will bring people. It will, as we talk about Jesus, there will be people who will oppose us. They won't like what we have to say. The words that we speak, this gospel that we talk about, it challenges people. It challenges us to change. It challenges us to change the way we live. To live more faithfully. To live more like citizens of the kingdom. It challenges us to change who we are. Not only that we just act the part, that we actually become followers of Christ. We become more like Jesus. That's the most profound change, is when God changes not just the way we do things, not just to be by our willpower, try to act right, but when Christ changes our heart, and we begin to live differently. We live differently because we desire to live differently because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. But proclaiming this Jesus will bring opposition. And we see it here in this story. We watch as these high leaders, these power players of Jerusalem, they descend on the apostles, on Peter and John. These are the power brokers of Jerusalem. These are the guys who call the shots when it comes to the temple. 
Yeah, the, the priest and, and the chief of the guard and the, and the Sadducees. These are all the high-level people. The guys who thought they controlled things. But the trouble is, these guys have also sold out. You see, they not only are they trying to keep the people happy, they're also trying to keep Rome happy. You see, at this time, Rome had occupied Jerusalem. It occupied Palestine. It was a Roman part of the Roman Empire. So part of Rome, the way they kept control of people was they controlled the religious system. So these Sadducees, they have sold out. They do just the things that they need to to keep the people happy. And they do just what they have to do to keep Rome happy. And they're the ones who benefit in the middle. You see, they were all about control. Keeping control of the people. Not wanting, to, not wanting them to get out of hand. They didn't want to risk anyone talking about Messiah because then Rome would come and destroy everything. So they tried to control people. And they did that by controlling the access to God. They controlled the laws around the temple. And they sold, and they sold taxes to the temple. You had to pay a temple tax at the time. So not only did they try and control people's access to God, they made a lot of money at it. These guys are playing all the angles. So you can imagine how angry they are, how irritated they are when they see Peter and John talking about Jesus in the temple, right in their temple, about Jesus, who saves people. It's interesting, I was thinking about this, and there's, uh, maybe you've heard of Karl Marx, sort of the father of communism. He said that religion is the opiate of the masses. The opiate, or like the drug of the masses, to keep them in control. Maybe religion is, I don't know. But I can tell you, Jesus, Jesus is the power that transforms things. The name of Jesus is the one that transforms whole people. The name of Jesus transforms whole communities. This whole world is being transformed by the name of Jesus. This is no opiate. This is no drug. The name of Jesus transforms. So you can understand why they are afraid now. You can understand why they come to, the, to these apostles and try to get them to shut up. They realize that something is happening here. They can't put their finger on it, but they realize that in the name of Jesus, there is something happening. So they come to the apostles and they begin to interrogate them. By what power and by whose name are you doing these things? Can you hear it in their voice? I can hear it in their voice saying, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are talking about this Jesus in our temple? Nothing happens around here unless we say so. Who do you think we are? You see, we run into this still today. As Christians, we still struggle with opposition. People still who oppose us because of what we believe. We proclaim this name of Jesus. We talk about Jesus in the way that He has called us to live. And we talk about Jesus in the way He's called all of us to live. And that challenges people. People don't like to be challenged. People don't like to change. Change is difficult. See, we're a bit more used to this, those of us who've been following Christ for a while. We realize that we come here and sometimes God convicts us. God says things, or the Spirit speaks to us, things that challenge us, challenge the way we think, 
challenge the way that we live. But imagine what this is like for someone who doesn't know Christ. So for a moment, they feel that prick of guilt. Oh, maybe I should be different. But then pride takes over. Pride takes over, and then anger. And they say, who do you think you are telling me how to live? Who gives you the right to tell me to live any differently? At that point, we say, it's not me. I'm not the one trying to tell you how to live. Jesus is. The Son of God has given us this way to live that is good for us, but also good for everyone. That will make us holy. That will bring us into a right relationship with God. And that conviction you feel, that conviction you feel, that's the part that we respond to. Not the pride and the anger, the things that separate us from each other and separate us from God. But the conviction, that's the part that we've learned to respond to and we commend it to you. We want you to respond the same way. But the trouble is, talking about Jesus, it brings opposition. People won't like it because Jesus challenges us. The gospel challenges the way that we live. It challenges us to become new people all the time. See, that's the thing about Christ. That's the thing about Jesus. He's constantly calling us to be transformed. There is no status quo with Jesus. When we are following Jesus, there is no such thing as Christian enough. I'm not saying this to make you worried about your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it to get at this point that sometimes we think, you know, I'm I'm Christian enough. I'm kind of doing the right things. I've kind of met the bare minimum. When we are in a right relationship with Jesus, that is never enough. We are always desiring Christ. We are always desiring to be closer to Him, to know Him, to become more like Him, to be changed as people, and to see our community changed. But that will come with opposition. The more we live that out, the more there will be opposition. But what can we say? What can we do other than tell people what we have seen and heard? Other than tell people this salvation, this new life that we have experienced in Christ, what could we possibly say but tell them that Christ has changed my life? This is how Peter replies. He says, what could we do? How could we not speak of this? But it's interesting, as I was watching Peter, as I was looking at this week and praying, I realized a few things of the way that Peter talks to these guys. Things that we can learn from. The first thing is that he speaks with respect. He addresses them as leaders of the people and elders. This is a title of honor. He begins with respect. He doesn't say, you money-grubbing weasels. (laughs) You sell out power mongers. He doesn't begin there. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he thought those things because these are the same guys who had Jesus sentenced to death and abandoned him to Pilate. I don't know. But he begins with respect. If we want people to respect what we have to say, we have to be respectful of what they have to say. You have to give respect to get respect. I'm not saying that we have to agree. We don't even have to like what people say, but we have to be respectful. We have to show respect that people then would listen to us. Then we have the opportunity to say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but Jesus has showed me something different. I believe that Christ has risen again. That this word, this Bible that he's given us is the way that we are to live life. 
But we have to give respect to get it. But it's also, too, what's interesting to me here is that there was a miracle to back it up. I don't know if you remember the part <clears throat> excuse me, when these guys came to him and Peter said, if today you're going to question us about this man, this man who was crippled and now he's been made perfectly well, if you're going to question us about him, then let it be known. Let it be known in all of Jerusalem that it was in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Let it be known that it was in His name that this man was healed. I was thinking about it, Susan, as you're telling your story about your bear this morning. This powerful name of Christ. The name of Jesus and the power that it still has in this world. Because Jesus is not dead. He is risen again. He is alive and He sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is interceding in this world. God is still at work. Jesus is still at work here. So Peter says, in this name, this man is healed. And they look at this man and they can't deny it. I mean, this man who they walked by when they entered the temple, this man who was nothing to them but a cup trying to get money out of them, they walked by him. And now they see him standing here, healed, for over 40 years, the text says, he has been crippled. And now he's healed. They can't deny this. We too have to act miraculous. We too need to have miraculous things in our lives. Or to be miraculous with people. Maybe some of you are gifted. You can pray for people and they are healed. Use that gift that God has given you. Maybe some of us still have to do things like we have to serve people again and again. You know, it's not very miraculous to help someone. It is miraculous to keep helping them again and again, not asking for anything. That doesn't happen in our world. To keep serving people. You know, it's not too miraculous. People come to soup kitchens and stuff like that. But to keep serving them, especially those who the rest of the world has thrown out the people who the rest of the world has thrown away, for us to go and to be a blessing to them, that is miraculous. That is not natural. That doesn't happen. We need to live miraculous in front of people. We need to live out these miracles to continue helping people and blessing them. To pray for those who don't like us, our neighbors who are irritated us, to continue blessing them, to continue being kind to them to continue to, to try and step that gap to bring reconciliation between us. That is miraculous. We live in a world where you get one chance. You have a disagreement and you don't ever talk to each other again. That's the world we live in. The miracles when we keep coming to them. We keep looking for ways to bridge that gap. That is a miracle. If we want our words to have weight, then we have to keep doing the miraculous. Helping those who everyone else has thrown away. Continuing to serve those who no one else will serve. Continuing to build bridges when the rest of the world would just write it off. These are miracles. And if we want our words to have weight, we have to keep doing the miraculous. Otherwise, they just ring hollow. Some people will be changed by the words that we speak. Sometimes there will be people you can meet, and in one conversation, you have this connection, and they want to know more about you and more about Jesus. But as I think about our community and the people that we've lived next to for years, we're going to have to serve them. 
Our actions are going to have to speak long before our words do. We have to keep doing the miraculous. But I also realize that we need to speak the truth in love. We need to speak the truth. And Peter speaks the truth to them. He says, this man that you're looking at who's been healed, he's been healed in the name of Jesus. This isn't some magic spell. This isn't by our power or by our faithfulness. This is by the name of Jesus that this man has been healed. And this Jesus is the one that you killed. The one who you killed, God raised to life. What you meant for evil and destruction, God meant for good and for His kingdom. You sent Him down into the darkness of death, but God has raised Him to the light of life. God has been at work here, undoing the thing that you thought you were doing. He's honest with them. You know, you're building this this monument. You say this to God, but it seems more like you're building this monument to yourself. And the stone that you rejected... The stone that you cast out has become the head cornerstone, the most important stone of the whole building. And it's not because of what you have done, it's because God has made it the most important stone. He's speaking the truth in love. That Jesus is not dead, that He is risen, He sits at the right hand of God. He is at work in this world. And there is no other name There is no other name in all the heavens that we can believe into that will save us. Jesus is the name that we believe into. But this is hard for me at times. I believe it. I see it throughout Scripture. Jesus is the one name, but I still, this is hard for me. I have friends who believe in other names. They've put their faith in names like Muhammad or Buddha, Shiva. They're good people. So this is not something that I relish. This is not something that I rub in people's faces, but it is the truth. It is the one name. The one name that brings us to salvation. Peter, or Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. He said, no one comes to the Father except by me. We see it again here with Peter and John. He says, there is no other name. This is the only name that saves, believing into Jesus. Paul talked about it when he wrote to Philippians. That one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus Christ. This is constant throughout Scripture. This is the one gate that God has given us. It's interesting, I was talking with a friend, with a guy I know who doesn't come to our church, but we were out fishing one morning. We were talking about church, and he said, you know... I just, can't, I, just don't, I just can't believe it. You know, you Christians say that yours is the only way and yet there's all these other religions and I just, I just can't buy it. And I didn't have a good answer for him then. But I've been thinking about it since. And I, what I realized is what that guy was doing was putting his idea of fair above true. You see, he had his idea, his human idea of what's fair that doesn't sound fair to me. Well, for me, the first question is, what's true? If Christ lived and died and rose again and ascended and sits at the right hand of God, if that is true, then we believe into Him. God is the one who sets our understanding of what fair is. 
I know this is hard. We live in a time when we don't want to talk about this. When this is a hard topic to talk about. And I don't talk about it easily. This is still hard for me. But I ask us, and when we have those friends who ask that question, is ask them to differentiate between what's true. Answer that question first, and then wrestle with the question of what's fair. I started thinking about this, and I, it sort of reminds me of, you know, when you get on an airplane, and the flight attendant tells you, you know, if, should we have any trouble, and the oxygen mask comes down, put your mask on first, and then help the person next to you. Well, I imagine this situation where things start to go wrong. The plane starts to go down, and the oxygen masks come down. And we look at this little girl next to us, and we think, how is she going to put it on? That doesn't seem fair. I don't think I'm going to put mine on. I don't think so. That's not fair. I think what I hear God saying is for us to put the mask on. For us to take that step of faith and then help them as well. That we ask the question first, what's true? And then when we decide that, when we realize what's true is, then we work out what's fair. And that we desire to see everyone come to Christ. We desire to see everyone know this life in Him. Because of that, we work urgently. We are spurred on to tell people about this faith. That they too could believe and know Him. That they too would have this life, this love that we found, this redemption that we found. So as I'm watching Peter, I see some important things that he's doing. He teaches us to speak with people with respect. teaches us to to have the miraculous way of living that backs up what we say. But also he speaks the truth in love. He says the hard things, but he says it in love because he cares about them. But here's the most important part. As I've been working through this passage this last week, I realize this is the most important part is that the more people try to push down the gospel, the more it will rise up. These guys have come to shut up the gospel. They have come to shut it up, to push it down, and it continues to rise. Throughout history, we've seen it. The harder the persecution, the deeper the roots go, and the farther the seeds scatter. Persecution is this rich soil in which the gospel grows. We saw it in Jesus They tried to kill him, and he rose to life again. See, they thought that they were doing something for the state of Israel, but really God was at work for his own mission. God was at work saving people, bringing redemption through the death and the resurrection of Christ. I think about Paul, too. The more he was beat, the more that he was persecuted and chased out of towns, the more resolute he became in his faith the more committed he became to Jesus Christ. I think about it when they sent him to Rome. They thought that they were sending a prisoner to Caesar for his death sentence. I look at it now. This was a gospel ministry. This was a ministry of Paul on this ship. Think about the people he spoke with in the middle of that persecution. Think about the guards who were chained to him, hearing the gospel again and again, asking him why he believes this. Why are you headed to Rome? Interesting you ask. Let me tell you. Persecution grows the gospel. It is the rich soil in which the seeds take root. We see it even here today. Peter and John locked up in prison. 
These guys are causing trouble in the temple. They just sent them to prison. But it says 5,000 were added to their number. 5,000 people believed. They heard what they were speaking. They heard this truth and they believed. I would go to prison for a night for 5,000 people to believe. Don't ask me how long I would go. But I would do it for what I do what they did. A night in prison for 5,000 people to believe? Absolutely. Persecution grows the church. There was this ancient saying that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. I can tell you the church is growing in places like China where they have to meet underground in secret. The church is growing. The church grows in places where people are persecuted, where people have to struggle. The hard thing is, probably the hardest soil for the gospel to grow is where people are comfortable. That's struggling for me. Because we're pretty comfortable. I feel pretty comfortable. We have to keep pursuing Christ. It's in persecution that our faith grows. So don't be surprised when opposition comes. But here's the great news. Even when things go wrong, or when they seem to be going wrong, people still respond. This morning, think about it. 5,000 people. They went to prison. Peter and John, they went to prison. But 5,000 people believed. Their lives changed. They became a new creation in Christ. People respond. Some don't respond well, like these religious leaders. They're looking at a man who's been healed. They're looking at this man, and yet they still don't believe. And I'll tell you, it's not because they need more information. It's not because the jury is still out. Because they still have some questions that they're still working through. It's because they don't want to. They see this man who's been healed right in front of them and they don't want to believe. Some of you are here today. Some of you have real questions. Honest questions. Maybe you're just starting in this journey. You're wondering, who is Jesus? I want to know more about him. I want to encourage you to ask these questions. I want to invite you to come ask me. I'd love to talk with you about your questions. I'd love to tell you about this Jesus and the way that he has changed my life. But some of you have been here for a while. And you're still unsure. You have all the information. You know enough now. And no longer is it a question of, is this right or is it true? But more, is this a question, am I going to trust my life to Jesus? Don't be like these religious leaders who have all the information right in front of them and they refuse. Not because they lack information, but because they don't want to give up their life. They don't want to trust him. You have enough info. Take that next step. You know enough now. And that's why they call it faith. It's a matter of trust. Don't let this day slip by. We say, I'm going to wait until I find out some more information. Let me tell you, you know who you are. Today is not about more information. It's about trust. Trust. 
See, when we preach this gospel, people will respond. And the more you try to push down the gospel, the more that it will rise. When people try to kill the gospel, it rises again. Jesus talked about it. He said, Blessed are you when people persecute you and insult you and speak all manner of things that are evil against you because of me. Actually rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. For in the same way they treated the prophets who went before you. I pray that you hear God speaking to you this morning. I pray that you hear God's Spirit speaking to you again that when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about this gospel and the way that God has called us to live, people are going to oppose that. It's going to challenge people and they're going to have to respond. There's going to be some people who don't like it. They don't like the way that the gospel is challenging them to change their life, for them to become new people. But what else can we say? We can only tell people this gospel, this good news. We can only tell people what we have experienced in Christ. But we have to tell them with respect. We have to have, live the miracles in front of them to back it up. And we have to speak the truth in love. And the good news is people are going to respond People are going to respond. Like today, when, when things go wrong, people will still respond. 5,000 people. I was thinking about this morning. I thought about the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. As you read through that letter, you see some of the places where it looks like they too were being persecuted. He said then, what then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not also along with them graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? This Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and sits at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who can separate us from this love of Christ? Can trouble or hardship or persecution, nakedness or famine or danger or the sword... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered like sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We will speak these words of truth to people and it will challenge them. But what else can we say? What else can we say but this love that we have experienced? Amen.